0: Hey there! Thanks for watching. This is our second ever Sling Talk. We're Slingshot, a machine learning platform for developers, and we'll be talking through questions that machine learning developers and folks on our team are asking. Today, we're going to be talking about why Meta open sourced Llama 2 and what we think the future has in store for open source models. We're going to be talking about open source versus closed source models, open source business models, legislation, and whatever else comes up. Feel free to join the conversation and let us know what you think.
1: So yeah, so I guess the question is like, why would Facebook open source Llama 2? And I guess the subtext is, why would a business make a decision like that in the first place,
0: right? So Llama 2 was released by Meta in July, 2023, uh, about two months ago now. And it was a really big deal because it was a follow-up to Llama. Llama was, at the time that it was released, one of the best open source models out there, but it didn't have commercial rights given away. Llama 2 gave away full commercial rights, a very permissive license. And it seems weird. Mostly there's a separation between the closed source community, companies like OpenAI with their models that they charge for, and suddenly Meta decides to give away a massive 90 billion parameter model trained on an amazing closed source data set and give it away for free. So, so Blake, so uh, why do you think that Meta gave it away for free?
1: Yeah, I mean... Just to adjust like the general topic for a second, like, why would any company give away anything open source? I think a lot of them hope for like, uh, revenue based on things like support, for example. Like, so they, they can still make big contracts using software. Let's say it's like not models, but software. And, um, and so when you get a big contract for software, usually, usually the expectation is that whoever's paying you is paying for your support. So it's like, it's not just that I get to use your software. It's that you help us operate it. You write us docs. You help us troubleshoot bugs. And then like, if there are real bugs, you also fix them. Um, so model is kind
0: of more weird, I think, but I think that's an interesting framing to start with. So translating this to meta, it could be that Facebook plans to use Llama 2 as part of their Facebook product suite. So for example, Facebook used to have a ton of chatbots on the platform. Um, I think in 2016, there was this short golden age of chatbots on Facebook with uh, Poncho being one of their big ones. They're like weather chatbot. It could be that Facebook has a big plan to make chatbots huge and try to own a huge amount of the ecosystem, a lot of the excitement around chatbots on Facebook. In which case, open sourcing Llama 2 is really just like a teaser towards their real product launch, which will be something to do with Facebook Messenger or Facebook chatbots. And then it'll be support for Llama 2, maybe training on Facebook, those kinds of features that'll come soon. And Llama 2 is really just, yeah, a teaser to get excitement.
1: Yeah, I could definitely be a teaser. I think, and it really, in that sense, is not much different than not open sourcing the product, but offering it for free, which a lot of companies do. Like, that's totally normal. Slingshot does this. Um, and so, so in some ways, open sourcing is, is just like a bigger hook. Maybe you're going to hook, um, another part of the target audience, like people who, um, people who are attracted because it's open source, people who otherwise wouldn't have tinkered with it or would have stuck to other open source models. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a bigger hook it's a bigger value proposition. I think part of it is also like um like psychological. So when you say something is free, the implication is maybe it won't be free in the future. When something is open source, even though it very much might not be open source in the future, people usually feel like it might stay like that forever. It kind of feels like free is in free beer when it's open source.
0: Exactly. So there are two business models we can imagine. The first where it's open source permanently, which might be something closer to stability, where like stability AI offers their models for free. And then they hope to offer a suite of products around it that they charge for. And there are a ton of companies. Docker is open source, but Docker tries to offer a suite of software that they charge money for, in which case it might be open source forever. Or there could be, and I think this makes a lot of sense in Facebook's world. So 90 billion parameters for Llama is pretty huge, but it's still nowhere near the largest models. Actually, since then, Falcon 180 billion was released, which is twice the size. Uh, We know that GPC 3.5 is probably. Bigger. gbt4 is probably much bigger in terms of total parameters so it could also be that this is like free beer that they give away the 90 billion parameter model for free thinking like this is really a joke like we're trying to show it off like it's a really cool model but at the end of the day it's only 90 billion maybe their vision is that the true expensive real models are way bigger and that they think they're so early giving this away for free is like giving away free beer and then charging for it later
1: yeah yeah i think that's right i think like I don't want to get into like speculating about how big models should be or how big they could be in the future, but it does seem like an element of this is Facebook or Meta knew that this was just not the end of history, right? Just like we talk about our own products sometimes. Um, and that even if Llama 2 was a great start, um, it's clear that there's more to do in the future and for next steps.
0: The release of Llama 2 was really interesting because it took the open source community by storm. It really replaced all other open source models almost overnight. And we saw people saying, I played with Llama 2 like 24 hours, 48 hours after it was released. We saw companies replacing other models they were using with Llama 2. And I wonder, do competitors face a chance in the open source battles against companies like Meta? So Meta has a giant team that they were, that they were using to annotate data for reinforcement learning. They also have a huge data set Whereas open source models, usually outside of companies like Meta, the ones that are coming from open source communities, usually have to use open data sets like Red Pajama. And those data sets just probably couldn't compete with private data sets. Do you think that when you have big companies like Meta creating open source models, does that just doom the rest of the community?
1: I mean, I think we have to assume that that can't be true for the long term. Like it could be term, true for the short term. And the question is kind of like, where's the medium term or what's the horizon, like the time horizon for their, their mode that they're trying to build. But I think like part of the question is, um first of all, like how, how long will it be before you just don't have humans doing annotations anymore? And that you just have models that do annotations for bootstrapping other models or, or whatever else. I don't want to get into that meta topic also. Um, but, but yeah, I think like it, a part of it also for me is like, I think Facebook or meta realized that, Open sourcing this would have, would have at zero impact on their otherwise not profitable anyway product, at least for the moment or model for the moment. And so it was kind of like a, you know, a, a chance to try something, experiment and find out whether they want to do more of that in the future and be more of that for other things that actually do make money. You could see the, the Facebook platform become public someday, not the monorepo, but the platform. Um, I don't see why not. Um, yeah,
0: because forks of Facebook just wouldn't make as much money as Facebook itself with all the user base.
1: Because operating Facebook costs a lot of money. Yes. Yeah, and I think, and I I think the network effect of the users and the data is is the product, and that part we're not selling or giving away is the challenging part. And that's the that's true also for the model, right? They're not giving away the annotated data set; they're giving away just parameters,
0: the results. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really underappreciated notion that even though Meta is giving away the model weights for free, they're holding on to their data set. So it's possible that meta just doesn't value their model all that much and they value the data set way more. That could be because they expect to train lots of models with this data set. It could be that they plan to train a larger model with this data set. But the fact that they're giving the model away for free is a sign that they value their data set a lot more. It's also interesting for the open source community where we usually think of model artifacts as like the only thing. Um, And perhaps the open source community is missing something huge even though they have Llama 2's weights because they're missing the data set. And it's something big that we haven't, that we've underestimated.
1: Yeah. In, in terms of that decision model also, isn't it also true that, I don't know about Llama 2 specifically, but wasn't one of the wasn't one of the initial releases
0: of these weights like a leak? Yes, I think uh, leaks have been an interesting phenomenon. I, In terms of the size of the model though, like in terms of Meta keeping their model closed source, their, sorry their data set closed source and sharing their model there does seem to be something about model size there does seem to be some claim about like even though there's a ton of hype around uh, about of, around these models meta still seemingly sees us in the early days because if this were their kind of like final or massively powerful model that they were open sourcing it would be a one-way door
1: right yeah yeah that, that makes sense like we can assume that if it was that the final answer the Final a solution, that even so, they still would have done the calculus and decided that releasing it public um, wouldn't be a detrimental business uh,
0: disadvantage. So I wonder, can we just talk about um, Llama 2 90 billion is still a lot smaller than GPT-4. So why is it such a big deal that Llama 2 was released, um, even if it was, you know, many months after GPT-4 was released, which was way, way bigger?
1: It's a good question. Um, actually, don't know what a good answer would be, that would be
0: i was thinking about the the fact that we can fine tune it for one thing the fact that we can mm. do you know white box tests
1: right 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 yeah so first of all being able to run inference locally or do your own thing edit code even is really convenient like for even like fine tuning for a second being able to just run it locally and not paying open ai is a pretty big advantage uh, but yeah fine tuning do, do you think that llama 2 being fine tunable was like a push that forced open ai to also make their models fine-tunable? Because I know GP3.5 Turbo also is fine-tunable now.
0: Yeah, I think a a huge element here does have to do with fine-tuning. Right now, OpenAI only gives closed-box access. And I think the fact that Llama 2 can be fine-tuned means that there's a huge amount of potential for tons of companies that have private data sets that they don't want to share to uh, piggyback on top of Llama 2 in a way that they couldn't with OpenAI. And I think OpenAI clearly felt that pressure releasing shortly afterward their fine-tuning API.
1: Mm. So in terms of like building a mode, is there a fundamental thing here actually, which is like open AI can't compete as long as they want to remain as
0: a API-only platform? It seems like two business models are emerging, like the closed source models and the open source models. We hear about this a lot. There's a big question about how the two compete with each other, but there's also clearly a world of competition that is separate, where you have companies that are only looking at Uh, open source models, like Llama 2, in which case it's incredibly valuable. It's the number one option because it's the number one open source. And then the other world where people just want a closed source platform, especially for out-of-the-box models, in which case they're perfectly happy with OpenAI and they will see OpenAI's APIs as much, much better because the model is, even though the model is closed source. Right. And what I wonder is, in each of these worlds separately, what does second place look like? So Llama 2 was released, and the fact that it took over the open source community overnight was a really big deal, because it really showed that people are not committed to whatever model they're currently using, right? It wasn't a matter of like a bunch of people saying like, oh, cool, that Llama 2 came out, but my model is basically just as good. We saw benchmarks, or Llama 2 was able to say, we beat these benchmarks, and people were able to switch over really quickly. So what I wonder is, both in the open source and in the closed source community, but especially open source now... What does second place look like? Is there any potential to be in second place? Or are we in an arms race where every new open source release has to prove that not only are they good, but that they're the absolute best, especially when they're trying to be general purpose and say, we work across every use case.
1: It's an interesting thought. I, I don't know if this addresses your question or not, but one thing that I'm thinking about while you, while you mentioned this is like, I think that we, we've we experienced challenges with um, you know zero shot learning. um. Few shot learning and fine tuning of LLMs, like for, for various use cases. And some of those challenges lead us, like, to build operational knowledge of how to do those things iteratively, like how to keep trying and how to eventually get a good result. I feel like those muscles that we're building are part of the reason why we can just switch models pretty easily. As long as you know the models, like, relative, relevant, comparable, then you can kind of assume that as an experiment, I can go and find out how, how transferable this is. And it's likely that your first attempts will not work, but you already know how to keep trying. Uh, prompt tuning or prompt adjusting the prompt, adding more examples or or not, um, to um, as part of like building a, a model on top of an LLM.
0: And I think I think um, in the early days of foundation models, one of the big appeals of foundation models—if you heard like Sam Altman talk about why foundation models are great—he um, was pushing people to use foundation models, saying. The underlying model will keep getting better, which means that you, a company that doesn't just focus on uh, training one particular model, can focus on other things because you can essentially build that top layer, your fine-tuning layer, for example, you know, your testing layer, and then you can just kind of wait it out. And if, if the underlying models aren't good enough, maybe you just you know set a reminder for six months from now and try on whatever foundation models exist then.
1: That's a really interesting topic. Also, I think we've talked before about businesses, whole businesses that have failed in the past because. Their approach to their business was found, was was grounded in the dream or the expectation that they'd be able to have the technology that wasn't there yet, and we're seeing that. I think I think we know already that such businesses that have failed in the past can succeed now or in the future, in the near future. And I think we're seeing that that cycle is shortening also. And I think that cycle shortening is part of the reason why what you just said is perfect makes perfect sense. People people have like imperfect understanding or like the bias towards time and time horizons. So when you know something is like not going to be there for, I don't know, maybe 10 years, then you just throw it away. But when you know that it might work in six months, then you don't just throw it away, right? It's a completely different thought process.
0: Yeah, I think there's something interesting on the other side, which is the kinds of companies that are just waiting for foundation models that create just a thin wrapper, essentially, and can say, we'll wait six months until GPT can support this. And I think in, in those use cases, you also see the divide between the ones focused on open source and closed source. Companies that are waiting for closed source might say, if I create a certain kind of interface, perhaps out-of-the-box models like GPT-5 might be able to support this use case. Whereas I think other companies might say, I have a private data set. Not even OpenAI has access to this data. I'm dealing with some sort of really interesting niche data for my customers. It doesn't even have to be massive. It might be a thousand examples. And so I'm going to keep trying to fine-tune models to be able to achieve my results. And at some point, I might be able to actually get a model that's good enough and that the timeline to get those models might be faster than we think. Last question about open source models. I think Llama 2 really challenged the field of open source models in a certain kind of way. Uh, One big question people are asking about open source models now is whether they'll remain legal in the long run. So Llama 2 was interesting as a big open source model because it was usable by so many people, but it was also usable by bad actors. Are you worried about legislators outlawing open source models? So basically saying like, if you want to create a model and you make it accessible to anyone on the internet, that counts as exporting. And in fact, it counts as exporting to, you know, enemy combatants. So if you open source a model like Llama 2, in essence, you're exporting it to Iran and saying that, you know, Iranians are able to now use this perhaps to subjugate their own citizens.
1: So... I mean, in short, the answer is yes. I am worried about that. I I don't think that this, this like, you know, open source ML infrastructure should exist in a vacuum where we just, uh, you know, they sh- it, sh- it shouldn't be... I'm not trying to say that there should be, like, immune to all legislation, but I'm just saying that it is hard to get legislation right. Understanding the, the details and the impact of making decisions, like, at the kind of, uh, you know, government level is, like, is hard. And it's hard for everyone. Like, I don't know the correct answer for what should and shouldn't be done. I think, like... Uh, a good version of the future, like, in my mind would be, can we, first of all, trust people who know what they're talking about? Like, um, I know Sound Open, like, has some imp- impact on, um on government, um, for example. But like, um, that's like the step one. The step two is, can we also like, learn from past mistakes? Um And and also, and also like, past models of what's worked well. So like, um, yeah, the IETF, or like, for the internet, um was like, was like, legit, right? They did a lot of, a lot of very smart things to make decisions. They kind of, Sort of formalize the idea of a tech spec with the RFC process. Um, And then there's also just like, you know, uh, how, how is cryptography currently, um, dealt with in legislation and in the government right now? I think if we could, if you can figure out how to transfer learn, like how that works onto AI or ML models, um, you'd be, you'd be better off. Um, what I wouldn't, what I'd be really most afraid of is like very broad strokes or like, um, or like vague legislation that just says like, oh yeah, any, any distribution of public models is illegal. Then what's going to end up happening is like, as soon as you, I don't know, like, uh, as soon as, as soon as like, as soon as I become the, the cedar for, um, the model weights for Llama 2 because they're, you know, they're on, they're, they're distrib- distributed via torrent. Then now I'm breaking the law in some country. And that's like, no one wants to be there, right? No one wants to be wondering if they're doing something wrong. But at the same time, you might be like forced to if your business model is to, is to use this thing that is currently in a gray area. And you want to do it, you want to find out and keep track, you might also just not be able to afford like a lawyer who can go and give you the answers to your questions about what you should and shouldn't do. And even if you could afford a lawyer, would they have the right answer? I think
0: there's I I obviously want to avoid going down all the rabbit holes around how should we legislate AI, but if we focus just on the topic of open source models, I think you're right to point out that there are potential issues that can arise. In terms of the impact on individuals or the impact on small organizations, if open source models were outlawed, would you know the law? How do we make sure that people are able reasonably to follow the law? But I, I just wonder, in terms of some of that, what, you know, not just broad stroke legislation, but if we think about these very largest models, they're not coming from that many players. And for the government to just specifically say, like, open AI is fine with their closed source model, because they can control the inputs, so if they can ban it in the entire country. They can ban certain types of inputs. Lama can't. And I I think it would be, whether or not it would be done responsibly, I think like whether or not the law would be passed responsibly, there definitely is potential for good legislation, quote unquote, that straight up does make large language models perhaps above a certain size or uh, ability level, illegal to open source. And uh, that might actually be feasible to enforce given that we would be talking about relatively few players. But I think the biggest impact would be to all those folks that are relying on open source models and saying even though my use case isn't fully solved yet, maybe the next open source model will solve it. And it might be that the next open source model at some point stops coming because they're just illegal.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'll just like add a, a little thought to that. I think that when it comes to these things that are highly regulated, they're often, like, uh they're often, like, public utilities, right? It's like, you couldn't replace the water company or the, the power company where you live and neither could I. And I think, like, part of the challenge is figuring out what it takes to elevate certain things that you should expect to be public to, like, to that level. So, like, if we think of as open source technology as being on that level it's kind of hard but if you think of as cryptography as being on that level it's not less hard like cryptography is kind of like that right um good crypto is like is like very well understood a lot of very smart people have thought about it in, in a lot of depth um and that's why we're not really worried about some open source thinkers building open source versions of of crypto and then releasing it to Iran like oh no they now they have an advantage of, of, for, for crypto but for ml like we kind of are still in the wild west territory of like there is no there is no uh, public utility for ML like open source models, and so getting getting from here to maybe there or like something shaped like that um, is the is the hard part, and that, that's like that's like the framing question for me in my mind.
0: So if I'm understanding you with crypto, are you talking about like the the questions on WhatsApp, for example, like countries that are trying to outlaw WhatsApp by saying WhatsApp is impossible to intercept and therefore can and is used for terrorist purposes should we straight up outlaw WhatsApp and any kind of end-to-end encryption like it.
1: Uh, yeah that's the kind of encryption I'm talking about but I think more generally like in the U.S. specifically the, the law is is against uh, distribution of cryptography as like the algorithms. So if you have like a, a you know a new um, elliptical curve cryptography algorithm that was like better than whatever else we currently have then first of all, like good for you. Second of all, you're not supposed to
0: sell that to Iran. I, I don't personally know the details here. So I want to avoid trying to give the impression that we actually know what's law here. But I, I also think like open sourcing something like that has, it, it is very different. As in, if Facebook open sources Llama 2, it's extremely expensive for them to train Llama 2. When they release it, it has a huge financial impact on the company. It's a huge, high-level decision, and I have to bet it would be something that, like, Mark Zuckerberg himself would be part of making that decision. For the government to outlaw that would be, in my head, very different than blocking any random person, theoretically, from just putting online a PDF with their approach.
1: Right, right. Yes, yeah, so like, PDFs are one thing. I think, so we're talking about Zuckerberg making big decisions and, like, it costs a lot of money trying to try to bet them all like this. Same thing for Falcon, presumably, but, like, There's a whole, like, there's a whole area of, like, second place open source models probably where those models are not as good, but still would be concerning, right? Uh, a, some 10B model, let's say, I don't know whose could very well have, like, the knowledge distilled into it on how to build, let's say, a bomb or, like, some, I don't know, whatever, methamphetamine. It could be anything. Um, and so, like, the the same problems or concerns are there, I think.
0: Although I, I think just in terms of feasibility, it would be a lot easier. To block anyone who's training models, let's say that cost ten million or more to train, then you know any organization that could produce a certain kind of result. Like when we're talking about outlawing big models, we're, we can probably limit it to something like any model that costs more than ten million to train. The other side to legislation, I know we focused on legislation for a minute. There's also the side of like right now, I think I would hypothesize that Meta doesn't think that Llama to ninety billion is like a terminal model, and that it will become outdated fast enough that it's not a one-way door. But that very well could change. It could be that we reach a point where these models can act as agents or they're very powerful and all companies of meta-sized and larger basically just stop publishing their models publicly. It could be that open sourcing is just a temporary phenomenon in time where the very best models already aren't open source, but we have really, really good open source models. And it could be that we just slow down on that and smaller companies might continue to release open source models. But the delta between open source models and closed source models could just grow, especially if we imagine training costs go up. So if it's starting to cost a billion dollars to train a model, we might start seeing that open source models are never more than $10 million of training costs. And then when the next model costs $2 billion to train, it's still $10 million. And maybe that $10 million takes you further. Maybe it has a huge impact. But it could just be that that delta grows between the amount you're willing to spend on training The biggest model and the amount that you're willing to spend on the biggest open source model.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I think this comes back to the commodities thing, right? It's like there's a version of public water that's better than the current public water, but it doesn't exist because we don't need it. And it's the same with models. I think at some point we probably, we probably are going to be satisfied with the use cases of models. It might, it won't be soon probably, but like pretty soonish. Um, and then we will just not need to have. I'm um, a one trillion model because the fifty billion model is really good at all the things that we care about already, and it's faster or whatever else, right? Like the, the copilot one is is sufficient for writing copilot code. I don't need the super smart one to tell me like that my code is shit, basically, right? So, um, so I think that's like part of it.
0: I think there's probably a great topic for another day about utilities. Should we have LLMs as a utility? Like, I imagine at some point in the future we will have in the United States. Some like everyone has a right to LLMs as a utility, maybe with some like, you know, reasonable usage kind of limits. Uh, But yeah, just make LLMs, if they have such an impact on like economic efficiency, you know, people with LLMs just are so much better at their jobs than people without that this moves away from being like a company issue. And at least some basic level of like ChatGPT is made a commodity. And if that is the case, if it is made, um, if it is made a utility... We might expect that that happens around the world. That we don't just say like all Americans can use it, but Iran can't use it. Like at that point, we probably will expect that to be much more global. Cool,
1: yeah. But to be clear, commoditization happens also in non-public things. Like so, for example, cars. I consider them to be a, a commodity at this point. You can buy any of many of your choices of car. Um, and so it's like it's like similar problems, similar problem space. Um, another interesting thing is like. I think part of the reason why we're, why we don't want, so we know concrete cases for where big models can, that are unfiltered, can do things that are dangerous. But I think part of the problem is like, we don't know what the limit is right now. So like, is it going to be the case that the super powerful model can just like, you know, uh, DDoS the whole internet or I don't know what, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, so I think like, like part of the question is, um, are we also going to just figure out that emergent larger LLMs are just not as dangerous as we thought they were, and then we won't care less, like, that kind of thing. So, so it's like, whereas, like instructions ahead of a nuclear bomb, we know we care a lot, and we don't want to release that information ever to anyone,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you're right. Big open questions. Um, I think maybe we can wrap up now. So, the original question that we were talking about was why was Llama Two made open source? Um, do you feel like we've come to some understandings about why Llama Two is open source?
1: I think so. I think the I think the crux of it is that Meta realized that releasing this particular model as being open-source had pretty much zero negative impact on them. So they just did it.
0: Yeah, we were right. Uh, I think it was surprising, but I think Meta was right that there was no financial impact, basically, with open-sourcing Lama 2, and that basically we weren't at the end of history. It was not changing the world. It was, it was a really big deal that they open-sourced it. But there's still so much room to go that I think Meta kind of made the right call. They got a ton of attention. They reframed themselves as really an open-source Uh, company as like one of the best in this space releasing such a such a good model. Um and on the negative side, uh other open source models are being released. So clearly we're not at the end of history and clearly they are actually holding on to their IP. They have not taken all the money that they used to train Llama and threw it in the garbage. Like I think the the negative side would have been like they trained this, spent I don't know, $50 million and then gave that all away for free. They didn't because they held on to the data set. All they did was release this kind of early model in this direction give away commercial rights, get people excited, get people hooked, essentially. And um, I'm really excited to see what they do next.
1: Yeah, me too. Thank you.
0: Thank you. That's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're an ML enthusiast, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or at hello at slingshot.xyz. We'll be back with more next week.